Hi, and welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. A little something different today. We're going to talk to a couple of draft prospects with some good D in their game. Bobby Scales, our VP of Baseball, will join us later, too. So let's get to it. Eric Brown's a shortstop for Coastal Carolina, where he's a junior. The Fangraph scouting report on Eric is that he's one of the best athletes in the draft class and had him as the preseason number 27 draft prospect. Heath Law at the Athletics got him 43. MLB.com's got him about 60. His range described as exceptional. That's why we wanted to talk to him. We'll talk hitting, too. He's got an unusual batting stance. So lots of major leaguers. Eric, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing well. but yourself? We're good. So Eric hit 330 this year, 460 on base, seven home runs, 12 steals on a team that made the regional finals and lost to number eight East Carolina after winning three straight elimination games. Beyond that, though, beyond the stats, we've heard about your day. Can you give us your defense baseball origin story? I mean, growing up, defense has always been like the, I guess, forefront of my baseball career. And it's like, it's been my, my rock and the thing that just, I guess, is my item that I can claim. I've never really struggled with defense. And then going into this year, I had a little a little bit of a slump with my glove. And I ended up making 19 errors this year. But, I mean, I still believe that I'm one of the best defenders in, in this draft class. I mean, there's a lot. I, mean, I, can, I, I can name them off. Ryan Ritter from Kentucky. We played it to it. And so, but growing up, defense was a staple point. All right. So was there a moment in your youth baseball days where it really clicked for you, baseball, defensive-wise? Around 14 years old, my uh, fielding coach that lives here in Louisiana, we took countless ground balls like kind of every day. It was like an everyday thing. We we fielded more than we hit at a younger age. And I figured it out around 14 years old. Not, like You could see like the complete switch of when I figured it out because we have video from me fielding when I was 12 and 13 and then the one at 14. And it was just like a tremendous difference in just like the explosiveness and everything that I try to emulate on defense so how do you approach playing d i used to like be really focused about it and like be like hard on myself about about doing certain things but well ever since i really got into college it was more about that's my escape point and like if i go up there and have a bad bat at bat i know that my defense is going to be there and like can make a play and so like that's kind of like where i feel stress-free and just try to have fun how do you get your defense out of a slump just like most of the uh, most of the game, it's all mental, and so like you just tell yourself, you tell yourself and walk like you, you like you have one of the best gloves, and if you do that, then I feel like that's how you get out of the slump. One of the things that we do when we have major leaguers on the podcast is I'll typically have seen a bunch of defensive plays that they've made, and we'll pick one or two and walk through them like from start to finish, preposition all the way through. I only found one for you on YouTube. I'm sure there are others there and I just didn't look hard enough, but I did find a bare hand play at third base that you made. I think that was a few years ago. Do you have a, you can talk about that one or any other, do you have a favorite defensive play that you can just kind of walk us through? Through my college career, I would definitely say the bare hand was probably one of the best. And I mean, I was doing, I did it as a freshman, which I don't know what I was doing at the moment, but I mean, I, from the very start of the pitch, there was like this kid in the box and we have like shill coach Schilling. He tells us a guy. And so I'm like, all right, I took a few steps in because I was like trying to take away his bunt. And then he hit a chopper and I hear it out of my right ear. Schill, coach Schilling, he goes, go get it. And I froze and I didn't like go in. So I, I had to take a step back and then I knew it was an a guy. And I was like, 
if you use your glove, he's safe and you get yelled at by shill by not going in. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try it. And I threw my hand up and I just threw it as hard as I could. And it was just like, I, I didn't realize what I did until like after the game, I went back and watched it and I was like, all right, that was kind of sick, but <laughs> it reminded me of like an Arenado kind of play. That was it, was it was that impressive. That's really cool. So I was listening to another podcast that you did, and you talked about different players that you follow and watch closely. For hitters, you talked about Juan Soto and Mookie Betts, but then you also threw in Mitch Hanniger. And for defense, you talked about Javi Baez. Everybody, I think, has seen El Mago, the magician. But you also brought up Jose Iglesias, and yeah. I'm wondering when you watch. I'm curious. It's a two-part question, really. The first part of it is when you're watching baseball on TV and you're watching players like that, what are you watching? I mean, I'm just kind of watching of how easy they make the game look. And so, like, for me as a kid growing up, I kind of watched Jose Iglesias on YouTube and everything. And I would just look and see how he made plays look. And, like, it was just, like, it looked effortless. He looked so smooth. And then he has all these different arm angles that he can throw from. And that's, like, I've kind of, like, really added that to my game is my low, my lower arm slot because of him. And like, there's this one play it's on YouTube. It's, it's in like one of his highlights. A hitter gets jammed. He dies behind the mound and flicks from this low arm slot. And that's the, that's the exact play that I took from him. And then when I started watching Javi Baez, I was just like, he looks like he has fun with the game. And I said, that's how I want my game to be. I want to be like the, it's easy, but I'll make it look fun. You know? Nice. So shortstop's the captain of the infield, typically, kind of the leader of the infield. I'm curious, what's an example of you? We gave an example of you making a play. What's an example of you captaining the infield? An example of me just from this season or uh, last year, too? Any year. Well, my, my job for the, as a shortstop, I believe, is like make sure guys are in the right spot. And like we have the past two years, we've gotten a lot better over we have like cards and stuff. And it has like where you're positioned against what, what certain guy. So that, I mean, that kind of made that job easier. Cause like my sophomore year, we didn't really start with the cards just based on the guy. I was just like, Hey, you need to move here or like off this swing, you need to move here. And so it's just like, just trying to keep everybody like locked in on the game. I've, I've kind of done it back to back years so far, but I mean, this year was a lot easier having Dale Thomas and uh, Matt McDermott over there, two vet guys. So they pretty much knew where to play. So I want to transition to offense to kind of close things out here. You have a very unusual approach at the plate. Maybe it's best that you explain it rather than I try to explain it. Yeah. I mean, everybody, you sit there and you watch me hit. My hands are over my head. And that just kind of started my sophomore year of high school. I had this really bad problem of like swinging down like a lumberjack, like chopping at the baseball. So my hitting coach, this is when Eddie Fitzpatrick, he's my fielding coach as well we started focusing on hitting because I was like, Eddie, this is not the swing that I like that. It's going to help me become better. And so we were like, we have to figure out how to get the bat flat. And this is where Juan Soto comes in. He is the master of having a deep bat path and like giving himself the most room for error. And so like, I was trying to like master this and we call it like the power slot. And so once I mastered that to master it, I had to like figure out where I just kept moving my hands around. I moved lower, higher, everything. And I found it up here that my arm was able to drop and then as soon as that happened as soon as we figured out like the swing mechanics we uh kind of developed an approach and that's where Mookie Betts and Mitch Hanniger and uh recently I've been watching Jose Altuve and he looks like he's he kind of does the same thing 
It's it's definitely uh, highly unusual, but it works. You hit 330 this year, so certainly more power to you for that. Last thing is, how do you want to develop as a player kind of going forward? Developing as a player, I want to be just the more consistent player of just like kind of like a Mike Trout of, of every game. Like, you know what you're going to get. It's going to, he's going to go out there and he's at least going to go like one for four. He's going to play hard. And I just kind of like want to become that all around like player. And right now I'm working on my speed because I want to like be faster, be able to get to more balls, steal more bases. And so like, I just want to become that full five tool, five tool player. Five tool player, Eric Brown, shortstop for Coastal Carolina. We thank you for taking the time to join us. You psyched for the draft? Yes, sir. I am. I am. <laughs> cool. Good luck. And we'll be keeping uh, close tabs on you. Good luck. We look forward to seeing you play on D and making some more barehanded plays. Yes, sir. Thank you. We're joined by Adonis Guzman. He's from New York. He goes to Brunswick High in Greenwich, Connecticut, where he was tabbed as the number 76 prospect in the upcoming MLB draft by Baseball America and as one of the country's top high school catchers. We've talked shop with a number of major league catchers, uh, Austin Hedges, Max Stassi among our favorites. So cool that we get to do this with someone who's either going into the draft or going to Boston College on a baseball scholarship. Adonis, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Doing well. How are you? Great. So let's talk about you first, because normally when we have a player on, we don't, they need no introduction, but you need <laughs> a little bit of an introduction. Where are you from? Tell us about your family and how you got to this point. Well, yeah, I'm from the Bronx, New York, born and raised. Um, I'm from, I'm of Dominican descent. Both my parents are from Dominican Republic. And yeah, I mean, I've been playing baseball my entire life, pretty much. I, I would say it's kind of in my blood and in my genes just because I'm Dominican. So, so did you have any family members that played? Yeah, they played nobody professionally or collegiately, but yeah, they played obviously being from Dominican Republic. That was kind of a must for them. How did you learn the game? For my father, I started playing when I was six years old. And ever since then, he's been one of my instructors, one of my coaches. And So typically when we have a player on, like we say that the price of admission is for you to tell us about either your favorite play that you ever made or like the earliest play that you made that you can remember where you were, someone said, wow, that was a good defensive play. You got one for us? I would probably say last year at the area code games in San Diego. I, I don't know if I threw out three runners in two innings, but I'm pretty sure it was, I threw out three runners in one inning. So that was a pretty memorable moment for me. Now, the arm is the thing that gets talked about with you a lot. And we'll get to that in a second. But you said you're from the Bronx. You're a Yankee guy. I heard that on another interview. Your guys are Posada, naturally. And, J- <laughs> and Jason Veritek on the Red Sox, which I thought yeah. was interesting. But tell us about who, who are the catchers that you watch now that you find that you try and kind of like pick things up from? Three catchers I watch the most nowadays are Wilson Contreras, Salvador Perez, and Yadier Molina. Obviously, they're Hispanic catchers, Latin catchers, but I love their aggressiveness and their leadership on the field, the way they control the game and able to manage the pitching staffs and kind of slow the game down at all times is inspiring to me and something I aspire to be. Now, you decided to become a catcher when you were six. Why in the world would you have decided to do that? So funny story. Um, one of my friend's fathers, he was it was first my first time ever playing with this team. And he kind of saw me said, this kid's kind of stocky, like he has like a wide back, so to say. He's like, he told my father, go get him some catcher's gear. And ever since then, I've been a catcher. So <laughs> yeah. now doesn't it hurt? No. Yeah. Thankfully, I started at a young age. So by the time I hit 13, 14, when kids naturally start experiencing growing pains, um, I was kind of used to it. So I, I've never really experienced much pain. Now, uh, how would you like describe yourself as a catcher at this point? Very aggressive. I take much pride in my leadership and my relationship with pitchers. I feel like that's an important aspect for a catcher. But yeah, definitely, definitely my aggressiveness, I'd say, is the thing that stands out the most. 
about my defensive game. So when you go out and talk to your pitcher when things are going poorly, how do yeah. you have that conversation? I try to keep things light and kind of remind them what the main goal is. Obviously, the goal is always to get hitters out and kind of get your team back on the offensive end. So kind of just keep things light with them. Tell them to keep the main thing the main thing. Kind of just keep moving forward. All right, so let's run through a couple of different aspects of your game. MLB.com put a video of you up last year, and the scout, the person that narrated it, said that on the 20 to 80 scale, that you've got a 70-grade arm. They don't typically give 70-grade arms out. That's that's not something that's tossed around lightly. Perfect Game said you might have the best high school arm at any position in this class. How did you get such a good arm? I would almost say natural vulnerability, thankfully. But yeah, I mean, I've never really done anything abnormal when it comes to developing arm strength. I would say that one thing I do that I would say is a little bit unique in the United States, but not really in the Dominican Republic, is I, I toss with softballs a lot. Just so when I get the grip on the when, on an actual baseball, it's a little lighter and I have more control of it. But other than that, never really done anything abnormal. Did someone teach you that? Training when I was younger, going to different places and kind of being around ex-players. That's something they did a lot in the Dominican Republic. So I kind of picked that up. Is there a catcher whose arm you particularly like in the major leagues? Great question. Well, Salvador Perez is pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I would say Martin Maldonado. I've seen him make some great throws and some very impressive throws. Uh, <laughs> nice. And yeah. and some recency bias there because you would have just seen the Yankees play the Astros, yeah. right? Yes, yes. All right. So do you have a, fr- a favorite throw out or, uh, or does no one – I mean, you, you kind of mentioned it before. Does just, just, just like no one run on you? Early on, especially early on last year, I would say I was relatively – not known on the circuit, so I would get tested a lot more. And uh, but nowadays, I don't know. I just, especially in high school ball, n- nobody really runs that much, so it's kind of hard to show off the arm. Gotcha. How did you learn framing? I'm a big believer in like timing and rhythm. So all I do for framing is kind of put on a machine and ramp up the velo, lower down the velo, and change locations just to like feel myself out and feel the best positioning for me and what rhythm I need. We've previously had a couple of major league catchers on Austin Hedges and Max Stassi. Austin Hedges is very into the kind of, if I remember right, it's tap the ground as the pitcher, as the pitch is coming in. Is that something that you do too, or do you just kind of set up and try and stick it? I'm into the tap the ground. I wouldn't say I tap the ground every time, but yeah, it's definitely a method I use in my rhythm to create better rhythm and be more in sync with the pitcher. All right. How do you handle blocking pitches? Just kind of reps. I mean... Yeah, just off the machine daily, get 50 to 70 balls off the machine, just blocking and kind of learning how to read balls better. So, yeah, I think blocking is all reaction stuff. So you can't just get in reps daily. Well, so what's the coolest thing about catching? I would say the leadership aspect, like calling the game, I believe is probably the coolest thing. When you're young, the coolest thing is probably like catching the ball, framing a ball or throwing a runner out. But as you get older, you realize there's much more to the catching position than People take notice, and I would definitely say probably calling a game, learning, like reading other hitter swings and stuff like that, and then being able to decipher what's going to get them out. So I feel like that's the best part of catching nowadays. And what's the hardest part? Hardest part, the daily grind, I would say probably. being Squatting down back there day in and day out, nine innings a day. Probably say that's the hardest part. That That's the part that hurts. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, and just to kind of wrap up here, what aspect of your game are you looking to improve? My offensive side a little bit, being a little bit more consistent with my approach, I would say. I believe I can hit, but yeah, just being more consistent with my approach and building a a better mental side of the offensive game. And then lastly, is there anyone that you want to shout out for making you a better defensive player over the course of your baseball career? You can shout out whoever you like. 
probably my high school coach just for being with me and just letting me take the reps I need day in and day out, helping me get better. So yeah, my high school coach. What's his name? Keith Dava and Johnny Montanez. Nice. All right. We will salute them for their good work. Adonis Guzman, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck. We'll be keeping tabs in the draft, hoping you get picked. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Pleasure being here. Before we move on to our next guest, make sure you're following us on Twitter for all the latest baseball insights. We've got daily fantasy tips, player leaderboards, prospects to watch, and much more. Find us at SIS underscore baseball. And we wrap up the show with our segment with Bobby Scales, Vice President of Baseball for Sports Info Solutions. Hello, sir. How are you? I am fantastic. Nice. Uh, so we're going to talk a little, a little something different today. As we've done, we don't. This is actually the first time on the show that we've talked to high school draft prospect. We did talk to a college player before, and we talked to a college player just before we talked to you, Eric Brown, shortstop from Coastal Carolina, strong defender. That's one of the primary reasons he's ranked in the top fifty by both Keith Law and Fangraphs. What we can get out of public information, mm-hmm. he has one of the more unusual batting stances that you will see. And we did talk to him about that. But I'm curious for your take on that and and whether something like that is even necessarily that significant. Is it significant? It, there's a saying in the industry, the game will tell you when you need to make adjustments. It is a definitely a different approach uh, after having looked at it. But there's, there's two pieces of this I, I want to look at. Number one, there has been a history throughout baseball of guys who have unique batting stances. So the, the the biggest thing for me when looking at a, a young man or evaluating a player that has something that is different or funky or just uh, not conventional in, in their swing and their approach is number one, do they can they arrive at the hitting position on time? Now we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of hitting or whatever, but there's most hitters, okay? The majority of good hitters who, yes, and I'm going to say it, hit for a high average, impact the baseball, make good swing decisions. Well, actually, I should. I should turn that around, make good swing, swing decisions, impact the baseball and hit for a high average. And the reason I order them in that direct, in that way is because that's what ends up happening. The good hitters who do that, they have impeccable timing, meaning they arrive at a position that, to impact, to get their swing off in proper time with the pitcher, not the ball, but with the pitcher, the pitch being delivered. And secondly, they have excellent vision. And I don't just mean the numbers that you see on the charts, but I mean the ability to discern what pitch it is, where it is, do it soon enough, and then deliver uh, a forceful, impactful, and barrel and, and accurate swing. When I say accurate, I mean barrel accuracy to, the ba- to, to, to make contact with the baseball. Those guys, they do a lot of the same things inside the swing. And when I say inside the swing, I mean after, after they get to their launch position and before they get to their follow through. So you will see a lot of lot of different approaches, pre-pitch, pre-launch position and post impact, but in the same these guys are remarkably similar. All the really really good hitters are remarkably similar regardless of handedness, regardless of stature. They do a lot of things mechanically in the middle that allow them to be successful. So, in saying all of that, if this young man can continue to do this and have great timing and make good swing decisions, there's no real reason to change him. Now, what ends up happening a lot of times is you have to make adjustments because the game will tell you, son, this isn't working. We need to do something different. And I'll give you a perfect example of that. When I came out of college, I had a massive leg kick from the left side. I was a switcher, but I had a big leg kick from the left side. And that was an encouragement of my hitting coach, Chris Harrison, at, at when I was at Michigan and whose tremendous hitting coach still is, has his own facility. But when I got out and got in the pro ball, okay, 
these guys throw it a little bit harder. The movement's a little bit better. The breaking ball's even better. And so I had to engineer a swing that was m- more conducive to making sure that I got to the proper hitting position on time. Some people are remarkable and they, and they can do these things at a high level of baseball. I know Alex Rodriguez, okay, I get it. Say what you want to about him. He had a huge leg kick. Part of that was he was a monster. He was incredibly strong, but he was also incredibly athletic. I mean, you have guys like Tony Batista, like we spoke about earlier before we started, Mark. I mean, just all the gyrations and what have you, he went through before the pitch was delivered. And guess what? He was most of the time on time and allowed him to have a long big league career and and, and hit at a, at a rate that was successful enough to allow him to stay in the big leagues for a length of time. We don't need to go through all the different stances and, and iterations of swings that we've seen. But at the end of the day, most good hitters do similar things in the middle of the, strength, of the swing that allow him to be successful. So if it works for this young man where he is, and hopefully it'll continue to work for him, we never wish any ill will on anybody, but it, hopefully it will continue to work for him and he will be able to make the necessary adjustments as he progresses through his career. 330 uh, this past season in the Sunbelt Conference, one of the top players in that league, mm-hmm. and 1,000 OPS, 280 in the Cape last summer as well, with a 375 on base percentage. And we move now to Adonis Guzman. We got to talk to earlier the high school catcher that I was talking about. High school catcher, that's an unusual thing for the uh, MLB draft, but this is someone who, by the MLB and Baseball America descriptions, has a 70 arm, grade 70 arm. Explain what that is and explain what you would make of something like that. Right. So the high school catcher, I won't say is a unicorn, but their success level coming out of high school drafted has not been as high as you is, is other positions as high as you may want. Obviously, you know, getting drafted is is a long shot anyway. But when he talked about a 70 arm, so on the scouting scale, so in, inside baseball, typically speaking, the scale goes from 20, which is what you would rate as a non-prospect. It's a draftable player, but essentially it's, you know, there's a very little proposition of them getting or probability of them getting to the big leagues to a guy who's an 80. An 80 is, is, is Mike Trout, premier player in the game, generational player, and multiple MVP, that's an, that's an 80 talent or an eight talent. So you'll hear, you'll hear anything from 20 to 80, or you hear deuce to, to eight or whatever. So it, and so you have the hit tool, you have the throw tool, you have the run tool, you have the power tool, and you have the, the field tool. That's the five tools. So as you're evaluating players, you're evaluating players on, you're putting a, a 20 to, through an 80 on each one of their tools. Okay. And so Typically speaking, a, a five or a 50 is gen, is considered major league average. So when you see reports of this young man having a seven or a 70 arm, arm strength tool, that's saying he's two clicks above major league average, which means he has an, it's an absolute rocket. And so if you've got major league evaluators or amateur evaluators saying this kid has a seven arm, this kid has an absolute, it's a cannon. And so that's kind of a, a, sh- a very shortened version of what the 20 to 80 scale looks like on judging tools. And what we should mention, too, is, as you said before when we were talking, that high school catchers are unusual. It, most major league catchers, uh, by your measures and by what, what we think, started out somewhere else, right? That's correct. Uh, a lot of times what you'll see, I mean, just think about your local high school or your like, local high school. The kid standing at short, short, shortstop is probably the best player on the field. That's usually what ends up happening. I go back to my high school days. I played with Michael Barrett. Michael Barrett got 10 years, I think 11 years in the big leagues as a catcher, multiple teams. He was our short. He was the shortstop. I, he wasn't on my team. Played with him in the summer. Um, I played with Chucheriz, uh, Carlos Ruiz, longtime Philly catcher. Caught Roy, caught, caught Roy Holiday's no hitter. All of those things. He was the second baseman, third baseman when he signed out of Panama. Wellington Castillo was the second baseman, third baseman when he signed out of Dominican Republic for the Cubs way back in the day. 
the JT Real Muto, Buster Posey. And I think even Joy Bart played some multiple positions at Georgia Tech when he was down there too. So a lot of times you'll see catchers that end up getting converted to catcher. It's mindset. It's the way they throw. It's, it's, you know, the raw intelligence, the ability to go back there, follow a game plan, work through uh, a scouting report and work through a game plan with a pitcher. It's all those things. And, and like I said, mindset, you got to be a little different to put that gear on and go back there, especially after years of playing another position. So listen, I hope this young man gets drafted. I hope he plays 15 years in the big leagues. I'm not saying that's not going to happen. It's um, going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Be, yep. Getting, getting drafted as a pure catcher out of, out of high school. The numbers tell us it's a, it's a difficult proposition. We'll see. Uh, like I said, I hope the young man has gets drafted and plays 15 years in the show, wins multiple championships, <laughs> but it, it's a difficult proposition. Well, it's cool because we'll be able to say that we uh, we knew him way back when. And in, to his credit, uh, he's got 12 years of wearing the tool, of wearing the, the shin guards and wearing the chest protector. And the nice thing that was we got out of talking to him was it was clear he had the vocabulary of of the guys that we've talked to, sure. whether it be Austin Hedges or Matt mm-hmm. Stassi or other mm-hmm. guys. So that, So that's pretty cool. With all that said, you're someone who used to run player development for the Pirates. Uh, what advice would you have to an 18-year-old kid if he got drafted as a catcher going into pro baseball? Patience. Patience and more patience. That's for pretty much every position, especially a high school kid. You're going to fail at a rate where you've never failed before because you probably hit five or 600 at your high school level and hit 400 against even the best competition in, in summer baseball. You will not do that in, in pro ball. That's not likely to happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad player. It just means you have to continue to get better. And they're pretty good on the other side too. Somebody paid them some money as well, especially at catcher though. There's so much more in to, to learning the art and the skill of catching than there is to other positions. And some guys, and I, look, I didn't catch. And I'm secure enough for myself to say that, but it's the reality of the situation. So he's going to have to have uh, patience defensively. He's going to have to have patience offensively. He's going to have to have to be the aptitude and the raw intelligence is probably going to need to be high because you have so much to deal with back there, especially in today's information age where we have more raw data than we ever did. And he's got to be able to process those things in terms of a game plan and helping a guy through a ball game and helping him execute each pitch 140 times a night. So the, the, the road for a catcher is long and hard and arduous, period. It's even longer and harder and more arduous for a young man coming out of high school. And let's talk major leagues just for, for one topic. Bryce Harper goes down with an injury, gets hit by Blake Snell. He's out probably till mid-August. You wanted to give your take on that. What a shame. I mean, it's always a shame when the best players in the game are are hurt and can't perform or can't perform to a level in their prime where we are used to seeing them. Bryce Harper is 29 years old, MVP last season, OPS over 1,000, led the league in slugging OPS and OPS plus. He was 180 OPS plus last year. He's almost two twice as good as the normal major league player. I mean, think about that. We know that OPS plus 100 is average. He was 180. He was 80% better than a regular major league player. The regular the regular major league player, ladies and gentlemen, is a unicorn. So he's like a purple unicorn. It was ridiculous. <laughs> he's OPSing once OPS plus 175 this year, 985 OPS, 318, 385, 599 slugs, and the triple slash. Absolutely doing it. And and a guy like him has had to adjust to being the DH because of the problems with the elbow. For a Philly team that was already struggling because of, you know it's, it's been very difficult for them to, to to finish off games with what's going on with their bullpen and catch the baseball just in a general sense, 
him doing what he's doing in the middle of that lineup has been absolutely phenomenal. And I think that for whatever reason, it's gone a little bit under the radar. Maybe, maybe my perception is wrong. I just don't feel like we've heard as much about him this year, but he has been devastating in that role. And it stinks. Like I said, it stinks when your, your best players aren't able to perform or perform to the level that uh, they are accustomed to. And, you know, at 29 years old, right in the middle of his, the prime of his career, you know, the, the one, and this was a, this was a one-off injury. I mean, Blake Snell throws really hard. We know that from the left side and he just had a ball ro- right up and in on him. And, and Bryce was not happy about it. I think, you know, just the emotion of the situation, because, you know, as an athlete, when you get hurt and it's a bad one, you know, and he knew in that moment, this is not going to be a short-term thing. And I think a lot of that emotion, to, you know, bubbled over. I, I'm sure I know they smoothed it out. I know they spoke and all that kind of stuff. No, it's just raw emotion in that moment. You know, it's just a shame. It's just a, a shame to see. But, you know, unfortunately, these things happen. And hopefully those guys in Philly can can uh, get it figured out and at least tread water the rest of the year because it looks as if he's going to be out for an extended period of time. And that injury, he had already been hurt with the elbow, which put him out of commission field, fielding-wise, right. which forced them to play Castellanos in the field, which made a, a troubling defense, no offense to Nick Castellanos, worse. And yeah, the, the Phillies are, are somewhat, I know, the Phillies are somewhat defensively challenged, right? Well, without question, we knew that going in. Bryce Harper is a is a better fielder, I think, than people give him credit for. He is he is a good defensive right fielder, and has a and has a good arm as well, a plus arm. I, I, Bryce's arm is probably as you talked about twenty to eighty. He's probably got a six sixty five arm. Sometimes now here's another nuance too. Some some. Some teams and some systems will have a, a half grade where you can, if it's not a six, it's not a seven, it's 65 or 55, what have you. It's, but it's a well above average arm when he lets it go in the right field. And that's when he's not hurt, when he doesn't have a tear in his UCL. <laughs> but nonetheless, he's a good defensive outfielder. And, and as you, as you said, Mark, it took a defense that was already challenged and made it more challenged by having to p- play Cassianos and or Schwarber. Yes. Every day in the corners. So we talked to amateurs, we talked major leagues. Bobby Scales, Vice President, Baseball with Sports Info Solutions. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. And this wraps up this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at SIS underscore baseball. You can read all our content at sportsinfosolutions.com. For our guests, Adonis Guzman and Eric Brown, our VP of Baseball, Bobby Scales, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the SIS Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS. <laughs>